of the beauty of community when they sing together so beautifully and their voices lift as one. Let's go to God in prayer. God, you are blessed, and it is our great pleasure to bless you. And even in our blessing, you, O oh God, in your generosity, it spills over and blesses our lives. Even as we come to worship you, we are lifted up. Even as we come to pledge our commitment and our lives to you, our lives are richer because you're here. We pray, God, that we would have an open mind and heart to receive your word and that our spirits would be gentled into being touched by your hand. We pray all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen. I arrived on the West Coast on November 1st, and before I left Hilton Head Island in South Carolina, the local Hallmark store had whisked away all remnants of Halloween and replaced it with Christmas cards and keepsake ornaments. And on my drive from San Diego, once I got here up to Pasadena, I tuned into an old favorite radio station and I was shocked to hear that they had begun playing Christmas music 24 hours a day until Christmas. Now you can imagine how they had had to scour the remnants of people playing Christmas carols to come up with that many. And so you haven't lived until you've heard William Shatner singing Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> the shopping malls are ready for Christmas and have been for some time, and kids have already watched the Christmas parade. And parents and we grandparents have been stocking up for the perfect Christmas gift for months. And now we gather to experience the first day of Advent in Advent worship. And why? Why do people, both religious and non-religious, run earlier and earlier into the Christmas season? And I recognize that the retail industry has something to do with it. They certainly nurture it, but it's been my experience of the retail industry that they respond to demand. And what makes money? Do marketing experts, I wonder, see something that we in the church are running the risk of missing? Aren't people looking for the hope and goodwill that we associate with this season? Isn't there something of a need in the world so often to look different for the bad news to be turned into good news, for something about the world to be more wondrous and more inviting than it has been. And even if it's just tinsel and lights that make the difference, don't we long for that? And it is that need, and it is that desperate and colorless efforts of human beings to muster hope in a cold and painful world that 
made the people lift up their cries to God that first time around. And God heard the cries of his people. And he sent Moses to free them from captivity, to release them from their bondage so that they could find a place of freedom where they could enjoy God forever. And so even as we come into this season, we have to recognize that it, is, it was our need rising up once again, the groans and cries of a shadowy and violent world that was desperate and that once again broke the heart of God. And God made the decision at that time to journey into our world and to live among us and to create a path for us to return home into the arms of our Heavenly Father. And so we have to remember, even as we come into this season, even as we race into this season, that there can be no Easter morning without Good Friday, and there can be no Christmas without Advent. And it's our understanding that it is our need for a Savior that is the reason for the season. So those who come expecting more of what the culture offers are in for a rude awakening, I'm afraid. In worship, they're not going to find Santa, nor will they encounter a smiling young Mary, a cooing baby Jesus, inquisitive shepherds, or singing angels. Not yet. They may be both disappointed and dismayed by the gospel text that we start off with in Advent. But remember, we can have no Christmas without Advent. We can have no Easter without Good Friday. The section of Jesus' speech from the temple that is our reading today in Jerusalem is actually full of frightening images and confusing metaphors and shocking admonitions. We don't encounter the sweet baby Jesus uh, people wait for during Advent this first Sunday, but instead we encounter the stern adult Jesus. This Jesus who's picturing the whole universe being shaken and turned upside down, which is the reality more of what actually happened. It's not an easy text to preach. And when everything around us presses us, to just get on with Christmas as we've come to know it, to get on with the Hallmark version, not the Bible version. The season of Advent demands a very different kind of preparation for, from us than the shopping malls and the glitzy catalogs, even Amazon. And on this first Sunday of Advent, the Gospel text sets a very different tone than the cultural Christmas season that surrounds worshipers outside the church. And when you leave here today, that will surround you. Our attention instead is turned to the nature of time. A time to be born and a time to die. A time of desperation and a time that would become a time of hope. Our attention is turned to God's time both in our world and in the most divine sense. Listen then to our text today from Luke 21, 25-36. This is Jesus speaking. It will seem like all hell has broken loose. Sun, moon, and stars, earth, sea, 
in an uproar and everyone all over the world in a panic. The wind knocked out of them by the threat of doom, the powers that be quaking. And then, then, they'll see the Son of Man welcomed in grand style, a glorious welcome. When all this starts to happen, up on your feet, stand tall with your heads high, help is on the way. He told them a story. Look at a fig tree, any tree for that matter. When the leaves begin to show, one, one look tells you that summer is right around the corner. The same here. When you see these things happen, you know God's kingdom is about here. Don't brush this off. I'm not just saying this for some future generation, but for this one too. These things will happen. Sky and earth will wear out, and my words won't wear out. But be on your guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled by parties and drinking and shopping. Otherwise, that day is going to take you by a complete surprise, spring on you suddenly like a trap. For it's going to come on everyone, everyone at once. So whatever you do, don't go to sleep at the switch. Pray constantly that you'll have the strength and wits to make it through everything that's coming and end up on your feet before the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Frightening and bold and beautiful glimpses of God. This is what Jesus gives us on this first Sunday of Advent. And as difficult as it is to hear, as troubled as the text may make us feel, in it are treasures that help focus us on the true meaning and purpose of Advent. Because in it, Jesus challenges us, the believers, as he did his original hearers in the Jerusalem temple, and he challenges them with this. Look up. Pay attention and be ready. You know, the Advent, the word Advent actually means coming or arrival. And in this apocalyptic text, we are reminded that Advent involves preparing for three different comings of Jesus. You may have only heard of two. And if you have, it's because you've forgotten yourself. The first coming of Jesus was as God made flesh and coming to earth in the infant Jesus when we wait at Christmas. You see, this cycle, this Christian cycle is so beautiful because every year we start all over again, just like the Jews start all over again remembering their exodus. We start all over again remembering our liberation from captivity, our liberation from sin. So every year we prepare our hearts to remember how desperately we needed hope and how hope came and how hope brought us the path and how hope died and how hope was resurrected and how the church became and then we start all over again. The first one is we wait at Christmas and at Advent. The second one, the second coming of Jesus is when each year the child is born again. Each year some new heart finally hears, finally sees, and finally knows love. And in the words of poet Anne Reams, there is heaven, there is great rejoicing, there is a festival of stars. 
There is a celebration among the angels. For in the finding of one lost sheep, my friends, the heart of the shepherd is made glad. And Christmas has happened once more. The child is born anew, and one more knee is bowed. Have you ever thought of that? Every time someone comes to know Christ, it is Christmas. And the third coming as Christ returned to earth at a time that we do not know. You know, Luke wrote with a very deep and growing sense that Christian discipleship is kind of a living in-between. Aware of Jesus, and then coming to know this Jesus for whom we wait in the middle of eventful and unpredictable, even tumultuous world, and waiting for the return of Jesus. We're in this in-between place. Look at the fig tree, Jesus says. It tells you when summer is coming, Read the times as you would read a fig tree. Stay awake. Don't let your hearts be weighed down with things distracting from the truth of it. This is what Jesus taught us, and he taught us as Jeremiah. The world is a scary place, says Jeremiah, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus says, I have come to overcome the world. So wait in the middle of it all, just before the dawn. For in the middle of the night, there are strange and redeeming events afoot. Jesus uses this nature parable to clarify to his audience that they ought to be able to discern the meaning of the signs that are described. The fig tree loses its leaves each winter, but regains them in the summer. The signs, Jesus says, States will be clearly identifiable. You'll be able to recognize them right away. But even as Jesus says that, it's very important for us to remember every single person in history who has ever predicted the exact date for the final return of Christ has been wrong. So it would seem wise for believers to pay attention to the times, as Jesus says, what is happening around us. And is some heart ready for Jesus? For us to pay attention to what God expects of his people in response to these times and to live with the humility and realizing that Christ will come like a thief in the night. And honestly, it's not for us to be troubled by it or to distract ourselves with guessing. In these verses, Jesus recites a litany of disasters that quite honestly seem all too familiar to me, maybe to you as well. Jesus says there will be wars and insurrection, earthquakes and famines, epidemics of disaster, accusations and imprisonment, hate, betrayal at the hands of parents and children, close relatives and close friends. In fact, Jesus touches the base with everything that could possibly go wrong for every generation. Natural disasters and political disasters and social disruption and personal betrayal. And then on the heels of that, Jesus says, don't be frightened. Does that make sense? And there it is, right when we least expect it. The heart of hope is being born in the manger of trust. 
beating in the middle of chaos. Jesus, you see, is proclaiming a way of life that has its feet on the ground, a way of life that's reasonable and whole and healed and practical. But it's a way of life that is vastly different and vastly superior, quite honestly, to what we're used to. Jesus proclaims that death isn't the worst thing that can happen to us, that suffering isn't the worst thing. Rejection isn't the worst thing that could happen, and poverty and illness, believe it or not, aren't the worst things that can happen. The worst thing is to be without meaning, to be without love and without purpose, without hope and without God. And then in the same breath, we know that we aren't without God ever, and so we have hope. You aren't cut off from God ever, and so you have hope. And it's the simplest act of faith that puts you in relationship with God. And so we have hope. And in that relationship lies the path to the deepest and richest places of what it means to be human. What it means to be human with God as our creator. In our relationship with God, we find that we are no longer alone or prisoners, or victims, or products of a small story. But instead, we're drawn into a larger story, in which every single person has a place. Can you imagine? This larger story is God's story. And within its pages are the past, and the present, and the future. And they're each intimately bound together to weave the fabric of our lives. And this fabric is what we call eternity. The past, the present, and the future all belong in our own experience of life because we live in that larger story. I think as human beings, we, we know time as, pa as a passing of unrepeatable events in the course of which everything passes away, including ourselves. As human beings, we also know, though, don't we, occasions when we stand outside of the passing events and glimpse their deeper meaning. There are moments like this in each of our lives. Sometimes an event occurs, and sometimes that event is something, a birth or a death or a marriage, some event of unusual beauty or pain or joy and in that moment, all of time stands still, and we have just a small glimpse of what our lives are all about and maybe even what life itself is all about. And when you experience that, you must hang on to it and remember that that experience of timelessness, that experience of an experience without borders, that's porous, that captures your whole attention and your whole self. That experience is what it is like to live within the larger story of God's story. Inhabitants of time that we are, we stand on such occasions with one foot in eternity. 
God, as Isaiah says in 57:15, inhabits eternity, but stands with one foot in time. The part of time where God stands most particularly is Christ. And thus in Christ, through Jesus, we catch a glimpse of what eternity is all about, what God is all about, what we're all about, and what it means to live life aware of your own story set within God's larger story. The good news of Advent is not simply that Christ is coming, but that his coming means we have hope. It's strange, but we can't go back in time and pretend as though we don't know what happens when he comes. But that's what empowers us. That's why, as Christians, we can do greater things, said Jesus, because we have the hope that comes with the birth. We know how it's going to end. We know that it works, this audacious plan of God. Despite all that's falling apart in our lives and our communities and the world around us. And just as the leaves on the fig tree offer hope in late winter, that summer is just around the corner. So God's word in Jesus promises new life. Advent offers us expectation and hope for something new. But Jesus says, be alert at all times. And may all of us who have come to Advent worship today leave with a commitment to use this season of Advent to prepare for God's kingdom breaking forth once again in each of our lives. And for God to bless each of us with someone who is waiting and so desperate to hear of that kingdom and for us to have the boldness and the courage to share it. Even as we wait for the radical and earth-shattering welcome of the Prince of Peace, the little baby, and the risen Lord. Thanks be to God.